Hello and welcome to the Performance Car Podcast. My name is Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. My name is Dylan Campbell, I'm the Editor of Motor Magazine. And in the back recording this, as ever, we've got Josh Robinson. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Uh, today we are in the Volvo S60 Polestar, the new one, which has traded a 3-litre turbocharged 6 for a 2-litre twin-charged 4-cylinder. So that means supercharger and turbocharger, like a Lancia Delta S4 or an old-school VW Polo GDI. It's, the figures are roughly similar to what it had before. It's got 270 kilowatts and 470 newton meters, 0 to 100 in 4.7 seconds, and it's had a bit of a price cut too, which is 89,990 for this sedan which we're in, and you can also get it as a V60 Polestar wagon for 92,990, which we think is a bit cooler. Mm. Uh, it's got a, it's got you know new rims and a couple of styling tweaks, but the main. Is, uh, main point of order is under the bonnet, which brings us to our topic for today, which is downsizing performance engines. It's rife at the moment among the performance industry. So Dylan, why is everybody putting smaller engines in their performance cars? That's right, Scotty. Yes, downsizing is, uh, is upon us and um, manufacturers are having to downsize for emissions regulations, basically. They're all under a lot of pressure to bring down their fleet average fuel consumption. So what does that mean? Uh, that means you've got, uh, if you're a manufacturer, you have, say, six cars in your range. Um, the average fuel use for those six cars has to be under a certain point. Um, and if you have cars that are, use a lot of fuel kind of thing, um, then it's going to be difficult for you to bring those emissions down. That's why we saw Aston Martin introduce the bizarre uh, Signet model, um, just, just to bring its emissions average down as, a, you know, as like an emergency measure, I suppose, to protect its big, thirsty V12s. Yep, and it works quite well for big companies like... VW Group because it works on a group basis mm. so therefore for every Bugatti Chiron they sell they can sell lots and lots and lots of little hybrid Golfs that they make now uh, so the, the the big problem is that those regulations continually change a couple of years ago it wasn't so hard now it's getting harder it's an, always a shifting target and I think maybe in 2020 I'd have to check but uh, the, the targets get really tough mm. as in so tough that only a few cars at the moment a few cars at all fall under the uh, threshold, let alone fleet averages. So this is le- leading performance car makers to you know, to get the same power out of it. They need to make a smaller turbocharged, usually, engine. So Dylan, have you got some examples of manufacturers and models that have taken this approach? So the car we're sitting in at the moment is a, is a prime example. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it had a three litre turbo six before, now it's got a two litre turbo four. Um, cars like the C63 Mercedes AMG that used to have a 6.2 litre V8, now it's got a 4 litre V8. Massive, massive cut. So we're seeing it across the board and even some cars like the new Porsche Boxster and Porsche Cayman 718 that previously had a 6 cylinder naturally aspirated engine, now it's got uh, downsized 4 cylinder turbocharged engines. So it's not just capacity that we're seeing come down but it's also cylinder count. That's right. and. As you mentioned, all those and all those cars you mentioned, uh, and pretty much every car that this is happening to, 911, etc., etc., RS4, RS5, now are replacing, as the V8 Commodore goes fastest, uh, now replacing big capacity naturally aspirated V8s, like the example we just heard, uh, with smaller turbocharged engines. And Dylan, you made the point that perhaps we're in a golden age of turbocharging now. Maybe it's not such a bad thing to be losing these cars, because maybe we're getting... Are we getting the best of both worlds, power and economy? 
Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. We often look back to the 80s with cars like the F40 and, you know, Ur Quattro and a lot of Japanese cars as well. And we think about how awesome they were, that they were turbocharged, very characterful turbocharged engines that came on boost really aggressively and hissed and had heaps of power. Uh, but we're forgetting that we're going through another era of turbocharging right now. We're seeing lots of innovation in turbocharging, like turbos in the hot V, um, sort of different approaches to bigger, bigger, smaller turbos, multiple turbocharging. This is an era of turbocharging that we're in right now, uh, yeah. and it is, and it is the, probably the golden era. Yeah, absolutely. You've, um, I mean, to just expand on that hot V topic, there's especially among the German manufacturers, the V8s, they the they put the turbos now, they basically reverse the manifold, so the turbos are inside the V of the engine, which creates massive heat problems, but mm. the advantage is it shortens the inlet tracks, so the air doesn't have to move as fast, move as far, so therefore you get much better throttle response. Mm. So it's a good point in that we are in a golden age of turbocharging like the 80s, but it's a very different era, because they're, now they're trying, to, they're trying to make the cars as responsive and as sort of natural feeling as possible rather than having that huge lag which made turbo old school turbo cars quite exciting these mm. cars aren't like that they're not they're not chasing that big turbo rush they're chasing they're using turbocharging for a different very different goal yeah it's interesting that like uh, manufacturers are trying and engineers are trying to make turbocharged engines behave as much like naturally aspirated engines as possible uh, and sometimes you get into one of these new turbocharged cars and you just think to yourself oh, it wouldn't be fun if the if it came on boost aggressively at, at uh, you know, three and a half thousand RPM, like an old school turbo engine, and instead of trying to engineer out the characteristics of a classic turbocharged performance engine, owning it and making it part of the car's personality. Well, it's interesting Porsche do that now in that when, on the, when I spoke to the head of the Boxer engine development for the 911, and I spoke that what's the point of a 911 turbo if all the 911s are turbo, as they are now, all the Carreras have a three litre turbocharged twin turbocharged six and he said that delivery is the key point for the Porsche 911 turbo they still want that wait 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 bang that massive turbo hit whereas they're trying every trick they know in the normal Carrera models to smooth out the power curve and you know they play with ignition timing they play with fuel timing and all sorts of things and obviously boost levels to make sure you still get that crescendo of power and I mean some manufacturers do it better than others um, Trying to think, you know, AMG do it pretty well. Mm. They, they've the new engine, the new four-liter twin-turbo V8 is quite smooth, whereas some cars still feel a bit breathless. The, the Mini JCW we had recently, that is a car that feels really breathless at the top end. So not everyone's got it right. Turbocharging still has a way to go, though. I think you're saying we're in the golden age now, but what's exciting is using electricity with turbocharging. Mm. Um, we did the last podcast on an Audi SQ7, which is one of the first cars to use one of those e-compressors to basically fill in the gaps of the turbocharged power curve. McLaren P1 does the same thing. It uses batteries to torque fill the gaps. And the end goal of this is, I suppose, to have electric motors on the turbos themselves. So rather than using the exhaust gas, you use an electric motor. So lag... So you could have a... The end point of this is... It could be really good in that you'll have a smaller engine that does e act exactly like a bigger engine, which makes me quite optimistic. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, with the all the the way technology is heading, the direction it's heading, and does suggest that we're starting to reach the limitations of turbocharging and downsizing in terms of trying to meet these tightening emissions regulations. In a conventional sense, yeah. yeah. 
Um, it does excite me. I mean, the, the, the thought of um, electrification in a naturally aspirated engine, um, try to using electrification to help the naturally aspirated engine achieve its um, economy goals, that excites me and it might help mm. to preserve supercars like the Aventador and whatnot. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other thing as well, isn't mm. it? Not just using the batteries to fill in the turbocharged gaps, but I, that excites me a lot as well because you do truly get the boast of both worlds apart from the weight problem because especially if city centres go towards this, you have to have a zero emissions car to drive in London or Paris or New York or whatever it may be. Well, you can get that. You can get the 50Ks, 80Ks of electric only range. I mean, you've driven a Porsche 918, you lucky, lucky thing. Hmm. So that's a car that can operate in electric only mode and use zero fuel and make zero noise, but you still get that amazing spine tingling Atmo V8 or V10 feeling when you want it. I mean, for me, uh, you know, the BMW M3 went to a turbo, turbo six. And I always think it would have been amazing to have that old V8, but with batteries as well, because mm. you get more torque, you get more power, but still that emissions reduction. But let's talk about some of the good examples of downsizing. What do you think has? Who do you think has got this new turbocharged uh, era right? Yeah, some manufacturers, uh, their products have benefited from turbocharging. Um, and I reckon an example is the new C63. It's a muscle car and the turbocharging adds a lot of low down torque. Not to say the previous engine was lacked torque. No. Um, but dr if you drove both Thought engines... too much torque now. <laughs> that's right. If you drove them back to back, uh, it would feel torqueless kind of thing, which is crazy because mm -hmm. once upon a time, V8s were the torquey engines. Uh, but now, if they, unless they have two turbochargers hanging off the, off the side of them, they feel like they lack they lack low down. So for me, the C63, though the the though the, uh, the rear axle alone struggles to get the power to the ground um, because of all this new torque. That's a good it, point. Like the Lexus GSF, which has a big thumping V8 with yeah, a lot of power. Yeah. You drive it now and you go, wow, this feels a bit yeah. feels a bit weedy because yeah. it hasn't got that massive surge yeah. uh, of power that is in pretty much every performance car these days. That's right. And in the in the late 90s and the early 2000s, if you wanted torque, you bought a naturally aspirated <laughs> V8. V8 yeah. <laughs> but now the, these cars feel like they lack torque, like yeah. you were saying. Absolutely. Uh, the other car I've just thought of that I think is a poster child for turbocharging is one of our favourites, the Ferrari 488. Yeah, that has used turbocharging to devastating effect. Super interesting application of, uh, of turbocharging. Um, I mean, obviously, the previous car, naturally, aspiration was such a big part of the previous car's personality and effectiveness and why we loved it so much. So it's become a very different car with turbocharging. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we move on to a clever thing with a Ferrari, I want to touch on it. Do we like these cars because they've done the turbocharging well, or do we like them just because those two examples, for instance, are cars that sound good? They've still managed to capture the sound because... That's one of the big downsides of this push is that turbos muffle sound. They it's part of their mm. part of their deal. It's it's, it's physics. But um, you know the AMG V8 still sounds amazing. I still think the Ferrari sounds pretty damn good as well. Um, but it is one of the biggest hits to performance cars. Like a you know a BMW M4 doesn't necessarily sound that amazing. Although they're working on it, does have a bit more character. Mm. So what do you think about that? Is do we like the performance or like the, you know, does the performance make up for the lack of sound, do you think? Yeah, it's like, what, what are we mourning? Uh, what, what have we lost in this, in this sort of transition to turbocharged engines? And for me, it is sound a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of the time, it's also response. Mm -hmm. um, some turbo engines can be quite laggy. Um, 
they don't don't sort of rev as keenly as a naturally as a good naturally aspirated engine. And I really feel sad for the loss of uh, the top end of attack of the Taco mm. on a on a really like high performance naturally aspirated engine. And the yeah. four eight eight is a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you can shift now at six and a half thousand instead of eight and a half thousand. And yeah. it's, it's just what you do. It just you're not lacking any speed. You're not lacking yep. any. And it, you just where you kind of need to shift. Um, you feel like you're short shifting yeah. compared to the say the four five eight. Yeah, you can, it's a lot easier to surf along in cars now, just using yep. four thousand RPM and just yeah. flying along, which is its own enjoyment. But yeah, there is a thrill to using every last RPM. You know, thank God for R eight V tens and oh, GT threes. A lot of these uh, turbocharged engines, you don't need to extend them to their rev limiter. All Not the engine, all. the engine performance is spread broadly across the the rev range. Whereas obviously in the Atmo engine, the engine performance is right up when the engine's spinning as, as fast as it can, moving as much gas through the engine as it can. And that was so exciting mm. to extend it right out to the limit of the cars that it feels really alive. What's interesting, a couple of points you made is that the C63 and a lot of these cars now really struggle to contain the level of torque. But um, Ferrari have sort of cleverly used that, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about with the different technologies they're using now with the staggered, the staggered torque maps which sounds kind of weird, but it actually works really, really well in maximising that turbo torque with mm. the... So basically, Ferrari and a couple of other manufacturers, they basically they limit the power in each gear so that each successive gear gives you more more torque. Um, there's lots of clever algorithms there that, you know, judge the available traction and everything like that. But as, do you agree that, that that's a really good solution in managing this extra power but making the car more drivable? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. You have a huge amount of torque, and you can use it kind of thing. You can't use it in first gear, but yeah. you can use it in sixth or seventh gear. Um, and it's sort of like it helps to give turbocharged engines their own personality, a yeah. little tiny bit. Like the four eight eight acceleration is absolutely mind shattering. It just does not stop accelerating. Well, that gives it that staggered torque delivery gives you the weird feeling of the car never. It feels to accelerate the same speed in every gear, which you mm. never really think about. As you drive a sort of regular car, you know, you become programmed to, as you select a new gear, this feeling of acceleration slackens off a bit, which is fine. Mm. So it's kind of an unnatural feeling when you pull gears and the car doesn't feel to slow down anymore, yeah. which is not because it's getting a big hit of extra power, yeah. which I guess is a good example of how new age turbocharging can be exciting and deliver a thrill in its own way. As Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It can have, it can deliver a thrill that's, that's something different to natural aspiration. Uh, and manufacturers probably need to own that a little bit more. Absolutely. So there's a dark side to this downsizing, though, which we're <laughs> going to call the great downsizing lie, in that, as we said at the top, that the reason for this downsizing is that manufacturers have to hit these fuel emission targets, fuel economy targets, emissions targets, but which they do. On paper, they do, because basically under the official fuel economy tests... It's quite long and involved. Well, it's actually not a very long test, but it's quite involved. But basically, the car spends a lot of time cruising around on a rolling road at very, very low RPM, being accelerated very, very slowly, which works really well for these turbocharged cars because they've got a lot of torque, long gear ratios, and they can they can probably do the whole test with not exceeding 1300 or 1400 RPM. The trouble is, though, to make a certain amount of power, and these engines are all very, very powerful you need to burn a certain amount of fuel. So how often have we been on tests when you get the fuel figures on these cars and they are, to put it mildly, horrendous? 
you know, a C63, for instance, will easily chew through... An A45 AMG, for instance, will chew through more than 20 litres per 100k if you're giving it a strop. So that's where, I guess, as an enthusiast, we struggle to accept this future a little bit because it's all a bit for nothing. It's a little bit farcical, really, like from a real-world perspective. Like, I'm sure we've been on tests where we've had naturally aspirated cars deliver better fuel economy when you're using the performance. Absolutely. And that is just, it's upsetting because we're seeing a lot of these heroic naturally aspirated engines biting the dust, getting replaced with downsized turbo engines. Um, a lot of the times the replacement is not as, not as good or at least characterful as, as, the, as the previous engine and not, not, not for the purpose that it was designed for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't really blame the car makers, I suppose. Their hands are a little bit tied, but... For an example, we did a test uh, oh, a couple of years ago. We used the Porsche Boxster GDS, which still had the 3.4 litre Atmo 6, amazing engine. We had a BMW M4 convertible, which is part of this new age downsizing trend, and a Jaguar F-Type B6 supercharged, which is always going to be a thirsty engine just by its inherent design. But by far the most economical car over that test of performance testing, road testing, just drive, general driving around, was the Porsche Boxster GDS. It was relatively frugal, and that was supposedly the big, thirsty, polluting, dirty Atmo engine. So mm. it's a real problem that, and we've seen this a bit with the VW Dieselgate scandal, and that there has been a bit of a push for uh, more real-world testing, but sadly it's almost come, become a bit too little too late for our some of our favourite engines. Yeah, and, and we were talking earlier about the sort of... Um, range average getting getting the average fuel economy of your range down and there's sort of like different solutions you can come up with to try and achieve that and obviously we've seen downcharging and forced induction as a as a solution to that um, but going forward there are there are other things that could help to solve that engineering challenge absolutely and i think the hope for us enthusiasts is there are a couple of manufacturers that are remain committed to another another way i spoke with aston martin ceo andy palmer recently about this very topic i said you know how are you going to keep these big thirsty v12s with these and he said there's two ways to do it you can downsize your engines which most people are doing and he wasn't a huge fan of or you to achieve it another way you have to get a big offset and what that means is that you can keep your big engine but you've got to go battery electric for your other cars so fast and martin for instance are going their new rapide their new suv their new sedans will be electric only, so therefore zero emissions, which means that on an average basis they can keep a V12 in the DB11, they can keep a V12 in the Vanquish, they can you know, keep AMG V8s in there, and we're seeing Porsche do that a little bit as well, like this new Mission E, as you said, can extend the life, hopefully, of the naturally aspirated GT cars, if not you know, the Carrera models that seems their time has passed. So hopefully this move to electrification rather than taking the joy out of enthusiast driving can actually extend the life of some of the you know the noisy noisy you know agro engines that we love because the engineers love them as well and you expect the engineers they're big fans of these things yeah that's right i mean there's been this there's this resistance to electrification because it is like you know you're basically making your car into a kitchen appliance um, but then if you think about it from the um, the range economy kind of point of view it is helping to preserve these these awesome naturally aspirated engines absolutely well that probably wraps us up for today so let us know as ever in the comments what do you think about this downsizing trend do you like this do you like these new wave of turbo cars do you mourn the fact that these great naturally aspirated engines are dying well as ever let us know youtube facebook 
any way you like. So we'll see you next time for another episode of the Performance Car Podcast. Bye.